Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I think also because of the abuse, and I was being abused around that time as well, I wasn't allowed to cry. You know, and if I cried more, I was hit even more. And, and I remember her putting a sandal and on my mouth saying shut up you know and and so so maybe there was a part of me back then that you know I didn't feel like I was even allowed to express my hurt and my pain welcome to how my parents raised me I'm Dawn Chitty when we are born we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friend, if you suffer from anxiety and are sick of all the ways it's taking over your life, please take a look at Panic Away. For over 10 years now, Panic Away has been showing people how to break anxious patterns and get their old, carefree self back, the person they were before anxiety ruled their life. Panic Away shows you how to break the anxiety loop and it gives your nervous system a chance to relax. It's totally drug-free and highly successful and it helps people with all levels of anxiety. Panic Away comes with a full money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's time to take back control of your life, your happiness, and your freedom. A life free of anxiety is like living an entirely different life. Click the link in the show notes for access to Panic Away. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so delighted to be connecting with more and more of you over your stories. Did you catch Mark's story last week? It is so much all of our story in some form. 
And please make sure you don't miss that one. If you have a story to share, reach out. I would love to share it. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Melanie, who is an emotional healing coach. Melanie grew up with a mum who gave her everything she needed except for love, care and kindness. Of course, as a child, we don't understand we are in the company of a narcissist. But this is what Melanie now knows to be the truth. Her mum ensured all of her basic needs were met. And so it was confusing because, yes, she is seemingly doing all the right things. But also there was abuse, abandonment and gaslighting. There was a lack of any kind of love. And whenever Melanie pushed back, the entire family believed that she was the one causing all the issues. Does this sound familiar? Because it's incredibly manipulative and soul-destroying and classic narcissist behavior. Melanie is now able to help you get to the absolute core of your emotional wounding so that you can heal at the deepest level. She's been on this journey herself and she wants to lead you back to truth, love and healing. Please join me now for Melanie's story. Melanie, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for being here. You are a holistic therapist and emotional healing coach and you specialize in helping women who suffer from deep emotional wounds from childhood trauma to heal and open themselves up to love so that they can live happier, more fulfilling lives. What a beautiful mission. There's so much to talk about here. And it's a mission that comes from your own life story, your own healing journey. So let's talk a little bit about that for a sec. You had an extremely difficult relationship with your mother. Can you tell us about what growing up with your mother was like for you? Sure. Firstly, thank you, Dawn, for inviting me as a guest. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I was abused basically, physically by her, emotionally, mentally. And and I just want to share that this is a, a difficult conversation to have because, you know, at the end of the day, also, she was a mother, my mother, and she provided for me. She cooked for us. She took us to school. She t- took me to ballet. So there was such a conflict within me because she did look after me. She did put food on the table. She did take me to, she was the only one that came to my recitals and you know my ballet recitals and things like that. And she stood up for me at school, but then she also was abusive. So it was very confusing, I guess is the word. It was very confusing. And I was actually terrified of my mother growing up as a child. I was very, very scared of her because anything could trigger her. The abuse that happened, a few of my family members from my mother's side had witnessed it and no one really did much to to stop it. And after we moved to Dubai, the abuse sort of continued. But the older that I got, the physical abuse kind of diminished. And then it was just more mental and emotional abuse. I guess the, the memory that I have is as I was getting older, I was getting more angry and I was getting more depressed. And when I hit puberty around 13, 14, I started to become a goth, <laughs> you know, it manifested the depression manifested as a goth and, uh, you know, wearing all black and I started cutting, cutting myself and suffering from depression. So I had a lot of, and that, that phase, I remember I had a lot of anger. In fact, I hated her. I, I, I hated her, but again, she was looking after me. She was taking me to school and doing all. So it was just. I couldn't figure it out for the longest time and being, you know, being brought up Catholic, you know, I was always told that I had to forgive my mother and how dare I point out these flaws because she's my mother, (laughs) you know, so it was almost, she was kind of put on a pedestal. And even when I, I reached out to my grandmother for help and my aunt, my godmother for help, and they took me to see spirit doctors that's a common thing in Bahia where I'm from it's very occult the culture so I went to a lot of spirit doctors and mediums and um, witch doctors where 
they think that when someone is depressed or someone has something like that, they have a spirit or they have some negative energies and it was never due to what's going on in the household or to her beatings, which they had witnessed. And so again, it was something that there's something wrong with me. You know, there was yeah. not them, there was something wrong with me. And when I did start to look for healing later on, I, I learned Reiki when I was 18, and that was really the transition to me looking into alternative therapies for healing. Because I was taught to go to like spirit doctors and witch doctors and all of that throughout my childhood and get my energy cleansed and all of that, when I was older, in my head, healing was, you know, all the new age stuff, energy healing and all that. So that's kind of like the path that I went on for about 10 years. And that nothing was changing. I was still depressed and getting triggered and angry and and I couldn't understand why. Yeah. And, and, and throughout that time, my mother was still, you know, I was still in contact with my mother and I was starting to, as I got older, distance myself from her. And I just noticed that the more distance that I had, the better that I felt, mm. you know? And, and obviously there was a point, I think in my mid twenties where I started to look into, you know, narcissism and things like that, and narcissistic abuse. And then I, you know, the light bulbs started to, to go off and I started to notice these patterns and I started to notice and become aware of the, the gaslighting, the emotional manipulation and, and all of that. So yeah, it was very confusing. And I guess, that's why this conversation is challenging to have. And I guess also that's why a lot of people don't heal because they want to see the good and then focusing on the good, they, they try to sort of push away the bad. But yeah. then if you do that, the bad, that, that is traumatic. That is causing your patterns such as depression and suicidal ideation and toxic relationships. You're not going to heal. I think it, it's a really important point because I think a lot of people are really stuck in that place of knowing that the relationship that they have with a parent, a mother or a father is really difficult. There's a lot of stuff going on. But like you say, the mother is cooking the food. The mother is there at all their recitals, you know, like it's so confusing, especially when you're a little kid. I mean, it's clearer as you get older, but I think there are many women who are or men as well of course who are adults who are still confused because yeah. it's just this well does she love me does she hate me you know it's it's so confusing for people I know that you mentioned that at seven years old you were almost kidnapped can you talk about that yeah so we were in the desert so I grew up in Dubai for those of you who who don't know and so we went to to the desert for a picnic with my mother my brother my baby sister i'm the eldest a friend of ours and we wanted to play in the dunes and in the bigger dunes we were just we were kids i think i was about seven or eight and we were sliding on the dunes with these cardboard uh just sliding that growing up the dunes sliding it with these cardboard things things that kids do right and we wanted to go in the bigger dunes so we and my mother did say like stay where I could see you of course being kids we did not do that we didn't listen so we walked behind the little dunes and went to one of the bigger dunes we never reached it and on the way there it was just me my brother and this boy and my my sister was too young she was a baby back then she stayed with my mother where they were having like the picnic so we went past the little dunes where she couldn't see us and a car came a four-wheel drive and they started circling us and one of the the guy in the passenger seat jumped out and grabbed me and grabbed me from behind and held my mouth over my mouth and tried to put me in the car my brother went to absolute shock he froze i think he even wet himself and i remember having my seat on the door and the little boy that was with us he lived in our building his name's michael i'm not sure if he wants me to, to say it, but he, we did reconnect after 20 years and spoke about this, but he jumped on the guy's back. And I mean, what a brave little boy. If it wasn't for him, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would be here, to be honest. That makes me emotional. Yeah. And because he had jumped on his back, he, he threw me on the ground and tried to get the little boy off, threw him on the ground and went to get something in the back of the car. And in that moment, that was it. You know, he 
grabbed me, I grabbed my brother and we all just ran basically for our lives. I mean, crying, snot everywhere. We, we just ran for our lives basically. And then they drove past us again and started circling us. But by that time we had just reached the edge of where my mother could see us. So then we managed to reach her. And when we got there, I, I'm not sure if she realized what had happened because she just shouted at all of us and just said, you know, get the F in the car. <laughs> and, and that was never spoken about again. It was kind of like a non-event. And obviously it was a traumatic experience for all of us, not just me. And I, and I lost contact. We moved from that building and I lost contact with this boy. And literally 20 years later, when Facebook sort of came up, we found each other on Facebook. And when he came to visit Dubai, he had moved to Canada. We had a moment and he did ask me about that. And, you know, obviously we, I hugged him and I thanked him and like, what a brave. And he was older. I think he was two years older than, than us at the time. So he must have been maybe nine or 10 only. And I thanked him and, and he said, I, I've always wondered how that had affected you. Really? Wow. That's interesting, isn't it? That a 10-year-old boy still wondered about that. And yet you you say that your mother, nobody else spoke to you about it ever again. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I and that at that moment I was obviously too traumatized to speak about it. I don't even know why she knew we were crying. Like I don't, I, I don't have a memory of being hugged or being, or, of her saying that it's okay, you're safe now. It was just like a non-event. So I don't know if she thought that maybe we fell or it was just not spoken about ever again. Yeah, and yeah. interesting, isn't it, when you're in a family where you're not feeling valued and really loved that, that as a child, you don't even feel like you can reach out and say, but mum, this, this was terrible, which is what you would do if you felt so connected to another person. You would reach out to them and try and sort of say, this is what happened. But, but when there's not that connection there, parents can miss out on a lot of information, can't they? Absolutely. And I think also because of the abuse, and I was being abused around that time as well, I wasn't allowed to cry, you know, and if I cried more, I was hit even more. And, and I remember her putting you know, a sandal in, on my mouth saying, shut up, you know, and, and so, so maybe there was a part of me back then that, you know, I didn't feel like I was even allowed to express my hurt and my pain. Yeah. It was just, it was not spoken about. It was just a non-event. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's really scary. And so as you, you touched on this before, but as you got into your teen years, there was some behaviors that started coming out because of the way that you're feeling about yourself, about your mother, about your situation. Can you tell us a little bit about what was going on in your teen years? Yeah, I sure. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, I started to develop depression when I mean, as early as 13, 14, and I just didn't want to live. And I absolutely hated myself and I didn't understand why. Like I, I just had this rage and hatred towards myself. I mean, now, obviously I know that it was the internalization of the trauma. So the way that my mother or even anyone, the way that your parents treat you is how you then treat yourself, right? Is how, is how you start to see yourself as you know, and that's what started to happen. And I started to hate myself. And that's where the, the, the cutting came from and the drugs and the self-sabotaging behavior and behaviors. And I was just self-destructive. I was out to <laughs> destroy myself basically. And for the longest time, I didn't understand why I hated myself so much and hated her as well. Even though we had good moments as well, I hated her and I couldn't like, it was still this whole going ongoing thing. Like you mentioned, like, does she love me? Does she hate me? Like, what is this? Yeah. Um, so it was just a very confusing time for me. I never got any guidance, even in terms of, you know, when I got my period, I remember she never guided me through that process. It was actually a friend of hers 
who is my surrogate mother. I have many surrogate mothers. I'm very lucky actually to have, I have about six surrogate mothers wow. who are my mother's friends. And they actually treated me like a daughter. They took me in and treated me like a daughter. And I remember she was the one that guided me through, you know, some of these processes and had to pluck my eyebrows, for example, or I, I mean, this seems a bit futile, but even like shaving my legs. And she taught me and nurtured me through that not my mother actually I remember she got very angry at me when I started to pluck my eyebrows and shape my legs and which is what girls do right you know teenage girls it's and yeah she was just angry at me I remember she got so angry at me for starting to use tampons wow you know and and I couldn't understand and so I'll go to my surrogate mothers yes. um, for that kind of support yeah it was just very strange how beautiful. Sorry if it's a bit too much information. But... No, not at all. Not at all. Like that is, it's so true, isn't it? Because it seems like a small thing, but when you're 13 or 14 and and people are starting to shave their legs or do whatever and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what do I do? do I, I don't, who do, do, I, do I ask? <laughs> like who can help me with this? And if it's not your mum, then who is it? Who's going to help you? And it's, it's such a big part of growing up. I remember that myself. You sort of look around and go, oh, I should know something and I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I couldn't understand why she got angry at me for going through these changes. Like she didn't want me to, maybe she didn't want me to grow up and to be a woman and to do things like shave my legs and like pluck my eyebrows. It was very bizarre how she got so angry at these little things. Yeah. So there was some self-sabotage. What else was going on for you as a teen? So that's, uh, she stopped hitting me around, I think it was probably around 10. So she wasn't hitting me at that time anymore. It was more sort of emotional and mental abuse that was ongoing until obviously I had to cut her out eventually. That was it. I just felt very alone. My father was never around. And I did try at one point to speak to my father but because he had never witnessed the abuse, he called me a liar. He didn't believe me. Wow. It was my mother's family who had witnessed it. He had, he was always at work. And when he was home from work, she never did that. So he never actually witnessed it. And until today, there's a, I don't, he doesn't want to believe it, you know, because if he acknowledged this truth, he would have to awaken to a whole other dynamics. That Reality. Yeah. yeah, that he's obviously afraid to acknowledge. So I did try to ask him for help. And I was told that I was a liar. And, you know, I'm an, and with I remember my mother telling him about my cutting me cutting myself. And he said in front of me that I'm just trying to get attention. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, wow. Okay. And I, I again, I had no voice then I couldn't express my emotions or mm. And you probably, like well, you probably don't even know why you're doing it, do you? I mean, correct. you're yeah. probably quite sure that it's not for attention, but <laughs> like, how do you even verbalize that when you're a teenager, when somebody says, oh, you're doing it for attention? It's like, am I doing it for attention? Like, it's, it's just another confusing thing, isn't it? Because no one's actually asking you, how are you or how are you feeling or what's going on for you? They're just deciding that, oh, well, that's the reason. Yeah. So. And I mean, probably my little inner child was, you know, doing it for, you know, attention. But the the teenage me, I just thought I hated myself and I didn't want to live. And I was actually doing it to feel a sense of being alive. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And something happened when you were around 14 that was pretty life-changing. Yeah, I was raped when I was 14. I was somewhere where I wasn't supposed to be so I was illegally underage drinking and I was drunk basically so I blamed myself for many many years and I didn't tell anyone until I was about 24 so 10 years later I literally buried it the next day I made a decision to bury it so deep that I actually forgot about it that's how deep I had buried it and it's quite shocking because it's something like, how can you forget that? Especially at 14, you know, maybe when you're a child, but at 14, yeah, I didn't tell a single soul. Yeah. And obviously that brought up a lot of shame, a sense of feeling dirty and filthy and 
it's just yeah shame and even when it came up in therapy when I was I think it was I was around 24 at that time I did I couldn't deal with it I, I said I wasn't ready and I ran out and I didn't even tell the therapist this and I although I think she knew and then I came up a few years later and then by then I was ready to sort of face it I understood that you know traumas are things that you need to face that you can't just bury but yeah that was another horrific incident yeah and yeah. it's all it's all connected and I think that's what people miss we're so busy labeling teenagers as troublemakers and attention seekers that's who they are because as soon as we turn I mean as soon as I turned a teenager I was told the same things and in fact it's just a reaction to what's going on around you I mean if you were loved and cherished you wouldn't have been out there by yourself in a place where you shouldn't have been right I mean it's it's all related and it's so important that parents begin to understand that a lot more because we don't have to have teens that go off the rails. We don't have to have teens that, you know, are depressed and suicidal when we are loving and cherishing them and hearing them and understanding them. It doesn't seem like it should be as hard as it is, but we're so ingrained to bring our children up in this sort of, we punish them when they're bad and bad means they don't do exactly what I say. And it's such a an old kind of way of thinking, but it's so ingrained, isn't it? And you went through this time as a teen looking for ways to heal. And can you tell us about the energy? Because a lot of what you were doing at that time was about energy healing, wasn't it? But yeah. it's more to do, it is still about energy, but it's more to do with the actual emotional wounding that right, we're, yeah. we're holding on to. Yeah. And I'd just like to add on what, based on what you said, I believe now, obviously that I've healed, all the anger and the depression is a suppression of emotions and the acting out is a, the rebellion is the, the anger towards the truth of my childhood. I feel now that I've sort of processed it. So I was just rebelling about the truth, about the injustice, which I didn't know at the time, you know. And also, though, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it was more about punishment and control rather than understanding. Yeah. You know, no one ever asked me or tried to understand how I felt, you know, or asked me about my emotions. We weren't allowed to talk about my emotions. And every time I did, I was told that I was too sensitive <laughs> that I'm over dramatic, that I'm over emotional, that I'm all, you know, I'm this, that, and the other, and basically made fun of. Yeah. I was made fun of for being too sensitive and too emotional, which is an, another, it's re traumatization. And then you just continue to suppress, you know, those emotions until, like, what's the point of talking about your emotions to your parents, you know? So then I, because of my upbringing, I decided to look for alternative therapies and the first thing that I found on my journey was Reiki I remember I was in Brazil I was walking to a yoga class and I saw this little house and there was just like incense smoke coming out and this lady was standing outside she eventually became my Reiki teacher but she's standing outside and said ask me if I would be willing to be a guinea pig for her students like they've just learned Reiki and they're giving free Reiki sessions every you know Wednesday and I said, sure, you know, why not? And uh, I had like eight hands on me or however many hands it was. And I remember it was the first time in my entire life until then that I actually felt peace. Like I, I, I felt so at peace and I guess I was, you know, out of my body. And I thought, wow. And it was that moment that I thought maybe healing is possible. Maybe I can feel at peace. You know, maybe, you know, this, I felt bliss and I came out of it and I'm like, what just happened? And then I started going every week for the Reiki, free Reiki. And then she's like, why don't you just learn Reiki? So then I started to learn Reiki one, Reiki two. And then I, that's when I started to look for alternative therapies, um, you know, other than Reiki. And I went this down this whole path of different energy healings. And what I noticed throughout the years is that I felt good. After a session, I had this quick fix and this bliss feeling, but because I wasn't dealing with any of my emotions and the traumas, I would repeat the pattern, you know, four months later or whatever, however months later. And then I, that's when I started to get confused. It's like, 
why is this not working? You know, I'm doing all the Reiki, the theta healing, the access bars, the this, the that, the quantum, I don't know what, you name it. I've probably done it and trained in it and nothing's working. And I believe in energy, by the way, I'm not saying energy doesn't exist. I believe in the chakras and all of that. But what I feel is that when you use energy healing, yes, you can move your energies, but the emotion, the emotional trauma is the blueprint. So unless you focus on the blueprint, which is the emotions, I believe emotions is the language of the soul. Yeah, you can clear a chakra, but because the blueprint is still, you know, traumatized, you're going to repeat that pattern. You're going to attract those same situations until you focus on processing those emotions. And very often, as you know, it's, it's from childhood. And it was only when I started to do like deep emotional work from, you know, childhood traumas that the pattern stopped, that my life started to change. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so how do we actually do that? How do we actually release those sure. stuck emotions? So what I understand now is that there's a process. Yeah. And at first it starts, it starts off with an intellectual awareness. Like you have to acknowledge the truth the truth about your childhood, the truth about what really happened. And, and this is where most people get stuck. I mean, for me, the abuse was physical. I had physical abuse, so I can't deny that. And I have witnesses, you know, they can't deny that. But for a lot of clients that I work with, you know, they didn't have physical abuse. It was just emotional trauma. And I'm not saying that they're both just as traumatic. You can't say one is, is more impactful than the other like emotional trauma is still trauma. And because it was emotional, it's not so tangible. So people have a harder time to see or to really point out actually, yeah, what they did right there was manipulative or, you know, was hurtful or evil or, but what tends to happen is a lot of clients, like as an adult, they say, oh, but they did the best they could. Oh, but they didn't mean it like that. Well, how do you know? <laughs> You know, and if it's coming up, it's still, you know, hurtful and it's still traumatic for you as a child. And it's, you need to start by acknowledging the truth of, yes, this was trauma, this was abusive. And yeah, it starts with that first and intellectual awareness. Then after that, it's really about looking at your resistant emotions. So for example, anger, like if you're constantly getting angry, that's a clear indication that there's a wound there that you're protecting. Anger by itself doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But you need to understand why, what is the reason why you're getting triggered? Let's say, for example, you know, they didn't respect me or, and every time someone doesn't respect me, I get triggered. Then that is an indication that maybe in your childhood, you weren't respected. Uh, this I'm speaking for myself here, you know, this is what was one of my triggers before. And so you have a need to be respected. Yeah. So you're, and, and this then becomes also an addiction. You know, you're addicted to getting that respect. And when you don't, you get triggered, you get defensive or whatever. So the first part is to work through these resistant emotions, the top layer emotions, I call them, because the top layer emotions is not the root cause. This is what most people need to understand the depression, the anxiety, the helplessness, the triggers. These are not the root cause. This is just your way to avoid feeling the root cause. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So yeah. once you work through that, what I found in my journey, often there's fear. Fear about 
really knowing the truth, not intellectually, because it starts intellectually, but the truth is about accepting it emotionally. That is what's going to heal you. Because I did, you know, throughout the beginning part of my journey, I did start to have an intellectual awareness of, yeah, actually I was abused, but I didn't accept it emotionally yet. So it is a process. And once you get through the resistant emotions, often there's fear of acknowledging that truth in your heart. And then deep down, the core emotion is grief and grief of, you know, for example, not being loved in my case. And once you really access that grief and then really accept the truth and, and grieve that, that's when your patterns will start to change. That's when your law of attraction starts to change. And this is what happened with me. It's not just about, because I'd also did inner child meditations and things like that. And I was still getting triggered and I, and I couldn't understand why. And I understood that it's not a mental exercise. It's an emotional desire. You have to desire to know the truth and accept it in your heart. Because if you don't, nothing that you do, you can do energy healing, you can do mental exercises, but you know, nothing's going to change. Yeah. So just to recap on that so that it's clear for people. So we, we might get triggered by something that happens and that is a reminder of the past. I mean, stop me if I'm saying the wrong thing, but the, the trigger reminds us of something in the past, which is a, a deep emotional wound for us and it creates a reaction. So like we might be angry or something like yeah. that. And so what we need to do is clear those surface level reactions to get to the deeper wounds. Correct. Yeah. And you're saying the deepest wound is grief? The core emotion is grief. Let's say you get angry about stuff. And then beneath that, there will be fear, perhaps. And then maybe, you know, there'll be terror or something. Or sometimes there's childhood anger. And we can talk about that in a second. But beneath that, the core is grief. But also, I'll just like to explain that there are some triggers that are related to just false beliefs, which is not really associated with a deep emotional wound. So there are two types of triggers. One, which is associated with deep emotional wounds, which is childhood trauma, basically. And then others that are just false beliefs. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because I also think with parents, they tell us so many things about ourselves as we're growing up that I think there is this layer of false belief anyway, isn't there, where they tell us you're selfish, you're bad, yes. all of those things. And they're not truth they're just other people's beliefs and judgments that we've taken on as truth yeah correct so, so that's kind of what I've found on my journey there's two types of wounds and so you just talked a little bit there about childhood anger can you explain yes. explain how that fits in sure yeah so there are two types of anger adult anger when we get triggered to me is an emotional addiction which stems from the wounds or the false beliefs but you also have childhood anger. This is also from my experience, mainly because I was abused physically and I was not able to stand up for myself. I couldn't fight back. I wasn't allowed to get angry because I would get beaten even more. And uh, there's the, the only true anger that I see really is childhood anger. So sometimes when you process some of these wounds, there will be childhood anger. And for me, it was the injustice that I experienced. And then when you process childhood anger, you will feel like a child. You'll feel like a little child, really angry. And yeah, and that to me is, it's not based on an addiction. It's not a trigger. When you go through the layers, you may reach that before accessing the, the grief, but it's more about the injustice of whatever happened to you as a child, at least from my experience. Yeah. Oh, it makes me really, I can feel that feeling actually when you talk about the deepest layer being grief I hadn't really thought about that before but I mean I have thought about grief but I hadn't really thought about it as being the deepest part of it and yeah that yeah that's quite hard to to think about really isn't it that that so many humans are walking around just in in that sort of grief from childhood. I, I mean, I see it all day, every day, just because yeah. of what I'm doing. But 
Yeah, I think that's what people are holding on to. It really is a grief and it's just showing up as so many other things. Yeah. So can I just add is that, you yeah. know, to have the real the emotional realization that you weren't loved by your parents, that would break anyone's heart. And, and most people are not willing to acknowledge that emotion. Like the amount yeah. of people that I see that I had, I remember many years ago, I had a client who was abused, just like me, same story. Mother was beating beating her and verbally abusing her and all that. And she turns around and she says, but I know she loves me. And I could just yeah. see that little girl in her, like, you know, mommy loves me. She did not want to acknowledge the truth. And nobody wants to, to, to feel that grief because of that. Because once you feel it, once you acknowledge it and it all comes out, you are acknowledging the truth. And that's heartbreaking to, to understand that your parents didn't love you, even though they gave you everything on the outside. You went to a good school, you did this, that, the other, and yeah. Yeah, that's really hard, isn't it? It it must be one of the main reasons why people can't even go down the healing path is because they just can't look at that stuff. They they because once you acknowledge that you weren't loved, that's too much for people to deal with right from the what beginning. What does that mean? Yeah. What does it mean about me as a person? But I guess I mean what I say all the time is that it's not about you, you know, like the fact that your mother wasn't able to love you is not about your ability to be loved or lovable. It's about her ability to love, you know, like yes, that's such an important thing for people to understand because people get so hung up on I wasn't loved in the way I wanted to be. But in fact, it's just that that person wasn't able to love you and they probably aren't able to love anybody. They can't love yeah. themselves, you know. They they just don't have that ability. And the same with the narcissistic personality. People are like, can I change it? What can I do? It's like it's just not something you can do anything about. Unfortunately, you've got this person in your life who doesn't feel emotions or empathy and all the things that we feel and it's just about them and it's not about you. Yeah, you. that was beautiful. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so when somebody's triggered, like in the moment, do you have any tips as to how they can learn to calm themselves down? Yeah. So firstly, I always say that the best time to process emotions is when you're triggered. Do not leave it for later. You know, if you can, maybe you have to leave the room or whatever, but use that. To me, this is an opportunity for you to heal. And when you're triggered, that's when the emotions are raw. It's up. So I would encourage everyone to to process their emotions when they are triggered. Obviously, this takes practice. Maybe the first time you're not able to do it, but you know, over time, as you learn to process it, it becomes easier. Two is to find out why you're triggered. Because the reason why, like I said before, anger doesn't mean anything unless you understand why you're angry. And the reason why you're angry will give you an indication of what you will need to process. So for example, when I mentioned before about feeling you get triggered because they didn't respect you. So you will need to feel, it's not so much, it's the anger, it's the addiction of I need to be respected. So you need to feel how much you want to be respected in this case and you and sit with it. And obviously deep breathing, staying in your body, not projecting, but having the intention to own this this anger. Because at the end of the day, the anger is in you. And, you know, let's face it, the truth is people can treat you however they want. Yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, disrespect and all this abuse stuff is right. I'm not saying that, but I'm I'm pointing out the journey is within. Like if you're blaming them and if you have a justification for the anger, then you'll stay stuck there. And you'll continue to get triggered. So find out why you're angry and that will give you an indication of what you need to process. Let's say, uh, just to give you another example, let's say you're angry because they're not listening to you. So then you'll need to feel the addiction, which is nobody listens to me. I'm not heard. And, And feel how much you want to be heard. And once you feel that and own that, like literally within seconds, you'll process you know, the anger and sometimes within seconds you'll be able to access grief based on that. So in that moment, are you getting upset? When you when you acknowledge how much you need to be acknowledged or whatever that 
trigger is are you then feeling the grief and are you feeling all of all of those emotions once you own the anger yeah and start and and realize that actually nobody needs to listen to you nobody Uh. needs to respect you and own that truth that actually this is my addiction okay that's how you own the anger this is my you know anger this is my and once you really own that and feel how much you want to be respected or then you will access the grief yeah I see what but you you're have saying. to own it. You have to own it first with your intention, with your, it's an emotional intention, not a mental one, you know, with your heart, with your, you know, this is a truth that you need to accept. And once you accept that within seconds, the grief will come up. Yeah. Yeah. Because I suppose so many of us are walking around as getting triggered and angry with the world for everything that they're doing to us, you know, like it's all happening to us. And in fact, it's all about how we react to what situations we're in really, isn't it? How we control everything that we can control in dealing with what's happening to us. Cause we can just have a breakdown every two minutes <laughs> or we can learn how to actually do something different, I guess. Yeah. And also like to, like, I really believe that the journey is within and everything that's happening you know, if you attracted a situation where someone triggered you, then that is your law of attraction. And I believe that the law of attraction is emotional. It's not a mental thing. So that's why people that have a lot of traumas, they tend to attract the same situation Mm. again and again. And they try to visualize and do their vision boards. And I speak for myself because I did this, right? And then they keep still attracting the same situations. Because the emotions, the traumas, the traumatic emotions is still trapped inside of your body. Yeah. And that is a physical thing. It's peptides, right? The, these are mo- molecules of emotions and they're vibrating at certain frequency, let's say shame or anger, or whatever those emotions are. And then you keep attracting situations and people and circumstances to trigger those emotions so that you can release it. So instead of avoiding it or saying that I'll deal with it later, actually see it ah to me i see it as an opportunity and my soul showing me okay this is what i need to heal now Ah, okay this is what's still unhealed so just see it as a feedback basically feedback to your own soul condition what is still unhealed within me is how i see it okay yeah i get it i i hadn't really thought of it as an emotional thing i still thought of it as a thinking thing you know like the law of attraction everyone's like oh you have to do all these things but what you're saying is it's really just messages telling us how we need to heal so that we're not constantly bringing the same things back to us all the time because we want to solve them correct yeah yeah that's what everyone wants right (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But it's so clear when you see some people and they just live their entire life in a loop. Yeah. And yeah, I'll put my hand up and say, yes, I was doing that for quite a long time. But I love the feeling now when I say, I stand there and I say, oh, I think I'm being taught something here. (laughs) I think I need to pay attention. Something's something is being, you know, trying to be communicated. What What do I need to change? And it's quite powerful when you realize that instead of it just being another kind of triggering event that that actually oh i can i can change something for myself here totally and that's true empowerment right you're not letting life sort of happen to you you're using yeah. it to empower yourself and to heal yourself and one thing i'll say is cuz i also did all the mind stuff and all the meditations and whatever to manifest and what i notice is that with the mind you're doing it over and over and over and over again and sometimes a little trickle here and something will happen but nothing really transformational would, would happen at least not for me but when i process certain emotions my law of attraction would change immediately not in six months time i didn't have to do it again and again it would change immediately yes and this wow. is the power of emotion this is when i realized like wow this is this is incredible and this is the true power of your soul like i believe that emotions is the language of the soul and it's god's language or the universe's language and it's 
yeah, they can change your life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That sounds so good. And I guess when we are living in that sort of cycle of just reacting to triggers, that's really like what we might call a victim mentality. Is that right? Because yeah, you don't ever believe, because you're not addressing anything, you don't believe that anything will ever change for you, I guess. Yeah, that's spot on, yeah. You feel hopeless and helpless and you are reacting to the situation. Seeing, yeah. And you see yourself as a victim, right? You see yourself. And, and what's interesting is that a lot of people don't realise that they are playing the victim. They use language that suggests that, but they really believe in, you know, whatever is out there because it's physical, it's tangible, that they can't change it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. And I guess it's all interconnected with how much we love ourselves as well, isn't it? And that sort of loops back right to the beginning because our parents, you know, might not have shown us love or made us feel like we weren't lovable and so we end up back here in this triggering situation where we are a victim and we we don't ever understand how to give ourselves that self-love, do we? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And even if, because the new age has become so popular and sort of mainstream, so people talk about self-care now and self-soothing and self-love and you know, they do take care of themselves. Maybe they have a healthy diet and they go to the gym and they do all this self-care, but internally their emotional state doesn't align with, you know, like they still have negative self-talk about themselves or put themselves down internally and they may not realize how much they do that. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes so ingrained, doesn't it, that you don't even think about it. It's just sort of there and it's going on in the background all the time. And I guess one thing that's interesting is how do we move on? Like for you yourself, when you've had that sort of relationship with a parent or parents or family that has been very destructive, I mean, a lot of people just hold on to this anger and and they can can get very stuck in the anger towards the people that they see as as putting them on this path in the first place. I understand that 100%, but it is very self-sabotaging to do that really, isn't it? It's about, yeah. you know, somehow allowing ourselves to let that go in order to live our best lives. 100%. Like in order to heal and to live your best life, you have to forgive and it's not mm. an intellectual process. It starts by first healing those traumas. You know, you will not be able to forgive your parents, even if you say from the mouth out, because I've seen a lot of people do that now, if you haven't really healed those traumas. And that is an act of self-love, you know, because carrying those emotions inside of you, you're only hurting yourself. Mm. So, and I believe that this journey is about love. I believe that we are here on earth to learn about love to love each other. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay, but learning to forgive them anyway, forgive the, the, the human being, the soul or the person, but doesn't mean that you're forgiving the act. And it also doesn't mean reconciliation. Mm. You know, if they continue to abuse you and if they continue to, and this is what, again, why a lot of people don't heal. They're too afraid to stand up to their parents. They're too afraid to confront them, to let them go, even if it means letting them go, which was, you know, in my case, I had to set that boundary. And, you know, my mother didn't even care. She's not even interested. <laughs> she goes to show, you know, like, I just set one boundary and that was it, done. She never looked back, never even tried to contact me ever again. Wow. And I had to choose that for myself. It took a good seven years to make that decision. It didn't, I didn't just make this decision overnight, but I just had this realization that even though I wasn't getting triggered anymore, I was still allowing abuse. And that yeah. was not okay with me. I just got to a point on my journey where this was, why am I allowing this? Okay, I'm not triggered and I could predict her behavior and all of that, but I just, it just didn't sit well with me anymore. And I had to 
sort of own that truth. And I, and I was well aware of the consequences of my decision, which is why it took me like seven years to make that decision. And yeah, I just, it just, I couldn't, there was something inside of me, like an integrity or a truth that I will no longer allow abuse, even if it's from my family. Yeah. And that was that. And uh, yeah. Well, it's like, well, it's like living in lies, isn't it really? Because you're pretending, you're pretending that it's all okay and it's not okay. And so, so many people are able to do that to, in order to keep everything nice. And we just have to decide actually, that's not what I want to do anymore. I'm worth more than that. And if you can't see my value for who I am, if you can't love and cherish me unconditionally, then what are we even bothering for? You know, why are we even here? It's just, it's just not the truth. It's not real. And I think anybody that's in anybody's life, who's just there for not good reasons, who can't respect them a hundred percent, why would you bother having a relationship? And unfortunately, you know, sometimes that's your mother and, and it's really, really sad. Of course, it's incredibly sad, isn't it? But that, that has to be how it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you said the right words. Like I was tired of pretending. I didn't want to pretend anymore. And every time I pointed out like an emotional manipulation or an abuse or belittling and, and all of that, I would just get attacked by the whole family saying that I'm too emotional. I'm overdramatic. I'm this, the same things over and over again. And I just got to a point where it's just like enough. Yeah, I can't take it anymore. And I can't pretend. And I know what I'm seeing is true. And I'm not being overdramatic. And, you know, I've, I had done enough you know, almost 20 years of inner work, 18 years of inner work and, and healing to get to this point. Yeah. And, and if you're on this path of healing, healing is about truth. And I want to have a real relationship, like you said, not a fake one. And I did keep the doors open. I said, you know, if you want a relationship with me, it has to be based on love, truth and respect. You yeah. don't have to respect, you don't have to agree with some of my decisions, but at least respect me. Yeah. We can agree to disagree on certain things. I'm more than happy to do that, but I will not tolerate abuse. And it has to be based on love, truth, and respect. And obviously it didn't go down well. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. Very, very yeah. sad, but it's the best decision in the end. And, you know, you, you're able to move on and, and just not have to deal with that sort of stuff day in, day out. Your mission is to help women heal. And what are you offering? How can women work with you? Sure. So I offer consultations, especially for those people who are stuck and who don't know what the the cause of the issue is. And so I help them to get to the root cause and basically give them a strategy and action plan to work through that. I also offer coaching, one-on-one coaching, if they want to work with me through you know, if they're struggling to process their emotions, this is what I do best. And yeah, you can check that out on my website. It's just my name, Melanie with a Y, dash oliver.com. Also on Facebook, on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, if you want to follow my work and support me. I've got also a very good online course called Healing Emotional Wounds. That's going to help you understand a lot about, I, I go into the emotional triggers, for example, how to process emotional triggers and process emotional wounds, basically, if you want to do it yourself, learn to do it yourself and get some of my healing insights. That sounds fantastic. And if you're in this situation where you're getting triggered, you're on a healing journey, you need help, please look up Melanie. I'll put all the links in the show notes so that you're able to click straight through and find her. It sounds like what you're doing is so important. I just see people who are so stuck every day and they need your help. So so you're the lady, you're the one to go and check out for all of those things. Melanie, thank you so much for connecting with me today and sharing your story. I know it's hard going back into those those places but just hearing where you've come from and where you are now is so empowering for everybody to to be able to see that this is possible so thank you so much for joining me today thank you don i i really enjoyed 
this conversation. Like I told you before we started, it's uncomfortable to have to expose, you know, my parents, but I feel that the bigger vision, the bigger sort of mission really is to help people heal. And it, I think it was important for me to start doing that. So uh, yeah, thank you for, for having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.